To all who have tuned in today, uh, welcome and greetings from Alpha Omega International. We hope that today, our prayer today, is that the Lord will touch you, He will speak to you, and by His Word, He will encourage you today. We're going to continue in our sermon series that we've gone over for the past couple of months called Portraits, where we have looked at people just like you and me in the Bible when they met with Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, what happened to these people as a result of this encounter with Jesus. We've been going through many of these stories, and, and today we're going to look at another story that comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, between uh, a woman from a, a Gentile land, a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, and today she's going to meet Jesus. And let's see what happens in the story. Today's sermon is titled, Draw Me, Lord. Matthew chapter 15. Opposition toward the Lord was beginning to rise. As the scriptures say in the Gospel of John, talking about Jesus, it says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was challenged by the scribes and the Pharisees concerning the traditions that they had written and commanded the people to follow. Not following these traditions was considered a transgression, a sin. And the tradition they were speaking of in Matthew 15 was the fact that they wanted people to wash their hands before they ate. And if somebody didn't do that, it was sin. Well, they didn't see the disciples of Jesus washing their hands. And so they confronted Jesus with this problem, and they were so focused on it, and they complained about his disciples. They were so entrenched in their own religious habits and customs that they were blinded to the truth of who Jesus was. And they were deaf to the words that he spoke. Jesus often rebuked the religious leaders for looking holy, for speaking holy, yet their hearts were so far from God. They were not right with God in their hearts. And so Jesus says to them, he says, Isaiah the prophet, he spoke well when he spoke concerning you. When he prophesied these words and he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they spoke the right kinds of things. They said it in the right way. But in their hearts, they did not know God the Father, nor did they know Jesus the Son. And so now in our story, in Matthew 15, Jesus goes beyond the, the Jewish mainland. He, he goes beyond the borders to the land of the Gentiles, people of other nations, people who did not worship the one true God of Israel but they worshiped their own pagan gods. These were the people that the Jews considered dogs. Dogs because they were outside and they did not belong within the household of God. And so with all that context, let's take a look at chapter 15 of Matthew. And I'm going to read the story today, which begins at verse 21. 
until verse 28. And again, the verses will be provided for you on the screen. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Praise the Lord. Last week, we considered the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And in that story, John says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And we discussed the fact that that need to go to Samaria was not Jesus' need. It was the woman's need. She was in need of Jesus, and he knew that, and he met her at the well. Well, today, it's very similar to that. Jesus is going to an area called Tyre and, and Sidon, which is about 25 miles away from where he currently is in the area of Capernaum. He's about to travel a long distance, 25 miles. And when you read this story, you'll notice this is the only thing that happened in that area, at least the only thing that's mentioned to us, that happened in this area. It's as if Jesus went 25 miles just to meet this one woman. And when the work was finished, he departed from that region. Is there any distance? The Lord will not journey to seek and to find us. Amen. He went a long way just to meet this woman. Jesus travels all the way to Tyre and Sidon, two cities on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They were known for their ships and for their commerce, going out from the land of the area of, of, of Syria and Israel through the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, and then out through the rest of the world from there. If there was a highway of the sea that led to the nations of the world, this was it right here, the area of Tyre and Sidon. It is here that he meets a Gentile woman, and she is the reason for his journey. Now, Mark also tells this story. And in the story of Mark, he gives us a little bit more detail. He says that this conversation starts most likely on the road. And then Jesus goes into a house along with his disciples. And then the story continues within that house. And so as I tell the story today from Matthew's point of view, I will use some of those details from Mark just so we can get a full picture of today's story. 
Three times in the story, you'll notice a phrase is repeated, and we're going to follow these three phases. phrases. It's, but he answered. But Jesus answered. Three times that phrase is mentioned. But he answered. And then the fourth time it says, then Jesus answered. And we'll get into that as we go through the sermon. Let us now take a closer look at this story and consider this woman. Let us consider, number one, her predicament. Number two, her prayer. Number three, her persistence. And number four, her peace. Let's begin. Number one, her predicament. Besides coming from the region of Tyre and Sidon, we are given two other facts concerning this woman in verse 22. Fact number one, she is a Canaanite. She is family to the ancient people of Canaan. These were the people that God commanded Joshua to drive out of the land. They were wicked, both in their lifestyles and wicked in their worship of the gods of Baal. Some believe that this woman may have had a connection with the Sidonian goddess named uh, Ashtoreth, which is also mentioned in the Old Testament, one of the goddesses that King Solomon ended up following after. Number one, she was a Canaanite. Number two, she has a daughter who is demon-possessed. And no wonder, as we learned a few weeks ago about a father and his son who was demon-possessed, we learned that when parents get involved with demonic worship, that eventually it will come after their children. The word that's used to describe this woman's daughter literally means a little or a young daughter. This is a little girl we're talking about. A little girl who is enslaved by a demon and tormented severely by it. This is her predicament. The reason she now cried out to Jesus in desperation. No doubt she had heard about Jesus and she knows he is her only hope. And this may be the one and only opportunity she has to actually meet with Jesus and ask for his help. We can now see ourselves in this woman, can't we? We may not share the same predicaments, but we all know what it's like to feel hopeless, to be, as we say, at the end of our rope, where there's nothing else we can do. We're out of answers, out of solutions. Nothing has worked and we've given up. And it's at that very moment, Jesus comes passing by. Amen. Her predicament. Number two, let's look at her prayer. She sees Jesus along the road and she cries out to him. Verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. These words, these exact words are very familiar. They were often cried out to Jesus in the Gospels. When you read of these different stories of lepers or blind men, 
when they cried out to Jesus, they used the same exact words that this woman now uses. And I'm sure there are more stories that the gospel writers didn't tell us about. There are more healings and more miracles that were done. And the same phrase was probably used often when people cried out to Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. I think this woman heard of those stories of Jesus healing and delivering people when they cried these words out, have mercy on me, son of David. She may have thought she found the formula that gets things done. She found the right words to say. Not only did she find the right person, Jesus, she now has learned the formula. If you just say these words, then it will move his hand to act on your behalf. But there are two problems with this prayer that she begins with. Problem number one, there are no formulas when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to our crying out to God. We do not have God in a box where if you say the right things and you, you say it the right way, then he is obligated to do exactly what you are asking him or telling him to do. We don't have God in a box and there is no secret. There's no formula. There are no right kinds of words and no right ways of saying it to get his attention. I know people often think that. I, and I know I'm, I'm also guilty of this. If I have been praying for something and for whatever reason, God is not moving just yet in my prayer. And then I'll hear of somebody else who gives testimony about how they prayed and then God answered their prayer. And I'll think to myself, well, wait a minute. They said they were fasting for three days and then they prayed. So let me try that. Maybe that will move the hand of God. And I've had people tell me before that if, if I really want God to answer my prayer, it will take at least three days of fasting and make sure I pray each day at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, where does that come from? Is that a, a biblical formula? No. Most likely, it's what that person did. They just happened to fast from their own heart and they just made it a devotion to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon. And after God answered their prayer, maybe they then thought, ah, I figured out the formula. And I've had many people tell me these kinds of things and you should say this, you should pray at this time of the day, you should pray before the sun comes up, you need to fast two, three days or, or even a whole week. There is no formula when it comes to God. Just because we say certain things and we say it in certain ways doesn't mean that God is now forced to answer our prayer. The second problem, the people who spoke these words, have mercy on me, son of David. The people who prayed those words were Jews. Jews who understood what it meant that Jesus was the son of David. King David, in the Old Testament, he was the Jewish king, the king of Israel, probably the greatest king the world had ever seen until Jesus came. And God promised David that his son, in the generations to come, his son would be the king of Israel. And that was speaking about Messiah, the Christ, that is Jesus. 
And so the Jews knew this. They understood what it meant. They believed it. And so naturally, when they met Jesus, they cried out, Son of David, you are truly the King of the Jews, the, the King of Israel, the one that was promised by God through King David. But this woman, this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman, she does not have the same understanding. She doesn't identify with that title, Son of David, as the Jews identify with it. And so she simply heard what they were saying, and she borrowed that title and thought, if I call Jesus this, then maybe he'll be pleased with me and answer prayer. But she didn't truly understand what that title meant. There's a story in the Bible about seven sons of Sceva. There were seven sons of a, of, a, of a man who was a chief priest, a leader in the Jewish religion. And these seven sons, who didn't believe in Jesus, they wanted to cast out a demon from a man. And so they spoke to the demon and they said, we now cast you out by the Jesus that Paul preaches about. <laughs> what kind of a phrase is that? And when they said that, not really believing in Jesus, but just simply using his name. Yes, that man that Paul preaches about, we cast you out. The demon said, well, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Even the demon knew that those words were not words of faith in Christ. They were just simply using a name, a name that Paul was preaching about. And the demon attacked those seven sons. Perhaps this is why when the woman called out to the son of David, <clears throat> that this is why in verse 23, Matthew says, but he answered her, not a word. I'm sure he heard her, but he gave no response whatsoever to this woman as she called out son of David because he knew she did not identify, she did not understand what she was saying. There is some belief in her heart, perhaps, concerning Jesus. But she speaks of things she knows not of. And as we saw in today's introduction, Jesus is more concerned about our heart than for us to say what may seem like the right thing to say, the right kinds of things to say. Jesus then walks into a house, and sometime later, his disciples also enter into that house. And evidently, the woman followed them, and she doesn't stop asking for Jesus. And so the disciples come into the house, in verse 23, it says, And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. The disciples knew what kind of woman she was, a Gentile, a Canaanite woman. And they wanted nothing to do with her, even though her daughter was severely possessed by a demon. They must have seen Jesus ignore her, and they felt that was his way of dismissing her. But they couldn't be more wrong. Jesus wasn't dismissing her. He was drawing her. And we'll find that out as we go in the story. They said, Jesus, tell her to go away. She's crying out after us. 
Verse 24, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I'm sure Jesus wanted to make sure he's speaking to the disciples, but he's going to make sure that they then pass on that message to the woman who is outside on the road, outside the house. And surely Peter and Andrew would have gone out to the woman. John, uh, John and James are standing at the door watching. And Peter says, look, lady, the Lord said he has only come for the Jews, for Israel. Sorry, it's time to go home now. And with that, the disciples came back into the house, sat at the table, broke bread, and started eating. But I pictured Jesus looking out the window, seeing that woman standing still in the middle of the road, bewildered, looking back in the direction from which she came, thinking of her daughter, her little girl, who is without hope, thinking about her home that has been filled with the constant cries and the shrills of her tormented daughter. And then, Jesus looking at her, knowing what she's thinking, he says within himself, come on, come on. You're not going to take that from these men, are you? Come on. I know there's faith in your heart. Come on. And he begins to draw her. And suddenly, the woman turns toward the house. Her face is filled with determination. And she comes now and she's marching toward the house. Into the house she comes, past the disciples, right to Jesus. And Mark tells us that when she came to Jesus, she fell at his feet and worshiped. Matthew says, then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Have you ever noticed <clears throat> The more desperate your situation, the shorter and to the point your prayer becomes. Sometimes the shortest prayer is the purest prayer. The Lord has a way of using our circumstances and the desperation that we go through. He uses them to draw this pure cry out from our hearts. This woman is already in a horrible predicament. Not only has the Lord seemingly ignored her, she's also been told to go away by the disciples. What is the Lord doing? I believe he is stripping away all the fluff of her prayer so that he can purify her faith and purify the words that she speaks to him. And it worked. Because now her prayer is, Lord, help me. She drops off that phrase, son of David. And now she just simply says, Lord, help me. What a simple prayer. And a prayer of faith. It reminds me of when Peter was in the boat. Jesus was walking on the water, approached the boat, and called Peter out. And Peter stepped over the ledge of the boat 
touched his feet on the water, and then stood on the surface of that water and walked toward Jesus. But when he took his eyes off Jesus and he noticed the waves and the water and probably considered the depth of this lake, he became afraid. And in his fear began to sink into those deep, dark waters. Now Peter didn't look at Jesus and say, Oh, omnipotent creator of heaven and earth, you who sit on the highest throne, king of the universe, I beseech thee. Now, he didn't say that. He just simply said, Lord, save me. Just like this woman, Lord, help me. Peter said, Lord, save me. It was simple, to the point. No fluff built around the prayer. It was pure, and it was a cry of faith, and Jesus grabbed onto him and saved him from the depths of those waters. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever been in a situation where you just cry out a few words of desperation? Maybe sometimes, as I have done, you just simply say, Oh God, oh Lord, Jesus, help. Sometimes we don't even know what else to say. Something hits us immediately, an emergency, and you just come out with pure words calling on the name of Jesus. Our circumstances and our desperations have a way of trimming down our prayers, trimming down those words, sometimes needless words, and we get to the point of what we need. That's what Jesus was doing with this woman. And her words became simple and full of faith. But now, as Jesus so often does, he will now test that faith she is declaring. So first we've seen, number one, her predicament. Number two, her prayer. And now number three, her persistence. Matthew 15, verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, Jesus is just simply stating something that everyone knew and that everyone believed. Not only the Jews of Israel, but the Gentiles of the immediate surrounding nations around Israel. They all knew that the Jews were the the, the household of God and everyone on the outside were considered dogs. Not necessarily as as an insult, but again, the fact that they were on the outside and they did not belong in the house. Kind of like a stray dog. You don't just let a stray dog who, who was out in the streets into your home. Normally, we don't do that unless you're like me as a child. I actually did that often. But as we become adults, we don't normally do that. They need to stay out there and the people who belong within the home stay on the inside. And he's just stating that fact about who she is and about who his disciples are, the Jews. And as the scriptures say that when Jesus came, he did come to the household of the Jewish nation. He did come to seek and to save the lost, beginning with the house of Israel first. But as we see, not only in this story, but in several other stories before this happens, Jesus often touched the people who were Gentiles, who were unbelievers, who were outside the household of Israel. 
Verse 27, she says in response, Yes, Lord, this is true. I know who I am. I know who they are. But even the little dogs, they will eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, yes, Lord, I understand. I, a Gentile, I am a dog. I am outside. I don't belong within the household. I understand that. But at the same time, you are the Lord. You're the Lord. You are the master of the table. You're the one who is in charge. And it's to you that I come to. She said, if you just have a crumb that falls, I don't, I don't need everything. If you just speak one word, if you just touch one small part of my life, then everything can be made new. Even if it looks like just a crumb, it's enough. It's enough for me because it comes from you. And so again, she calls him Lord. And not only that, but she uses the same exact word when she talks about the master's table. It's the same word for Lord. And she says, Lord, just give me something small. Something small from you. I know it will change my daughter's life. It will change my life. Is it faith that prays? Sometimes, I suppose, but aren't there other times where people will pray? And that prayer, instead of being filled with faith, it's filled with doubt. Doubting what the Lord is able to do. Doubting with what the Lord can do or should do. Or, or maybe sometimes we pray about something and then we think, but maybe the Lord doesn't care about this. Maybe the Lord doesn't care about me. Maybe the Lord just doesn't want to be bothered with yet another request that I'm making. Yes, I do believe that faith prays, but sometimes it's not faith that's praying because many times we might lack faith in our prayers. Is it faith that prays? Or is it faith that persists in prayer? That's what I believe. It's not faith that prays. It's faith that persists in prayer. That's the true faith. It's the faith that doesn't give up. It's the faith that always believes and always trusts. It's that faith that will continue to pray even though we don't see anything happen. It's the faith that will continue to pray even though other people are telling us it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. God's not going to answer this. Faith persists. Faith does not give up. Faith keeps pushing. Faith asks and seeks and knocks and will not give up until the Lord provides his answer. Faith persists in prayer. And I can just hear this woman saying, Lord, you are my only hope. You are my only answer. Where else can I go? Your disciples have told me to go away. Even if I go away, and I search the whole world for an answer, for a solution. I'm just going to keep coming back to you because I know that you're the only one who can save. You're the only one who can heal and set free. 
It's only you, Jesus. And so I'm going to keep asking you because I know you are the answer. That is faith. Faith that persists. And with that, Jesus says in verse 28, or it says, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Notice, it doesn't say, but he answered. Three times it said that, but he answered. And each time there was a but, there was a, a block. There was a, a, an, an ignoring the problem. There was no answer to the prayer. There was no, you must go away. Every but that Matthew talked about put up a roadblock to this woman. But she kept on going and persisting. And she kept on praying and asking. And finally it says, then Jesus answered. Meaning when she declared her faith and she demonstrated her faith, she didn't receive a but or a block. She received a then, which means an open door to activity now, to something that's going to happen, to the action of Jesus Christ. Then he answered her and said, Oh woman, great is your faith. Though it seemed the Lord had ignored her, she persisted. Though the disciples told her to go away, she persisted. Though every attempt she made was met with, but he answered, she persisted. And then Jesus answered, oh, woman, woman. Jesus didn't look at this woman as a dog. He was not, she was not a dog to him. She was not a Canaanite to him. She was not a Gentile to him. She was woman. It's the same exact word Jesus used to speak of his own mother, Mary. It was a love term, an affectionate term. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Jesus could look around at that table that he sat at. He could look at those disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas and the rest. And he could often remember or remember how often they lacked faith, how often they had no faith, how often they had such little faith. And now he could point to this woman and say, you see that boys, that is what I'm talking about. That is what I call great faith. She persisted. And when she persisted in prayer, Jesus said, great is your faith. Many times people may say to you, when you pray for something and you keep on praying for it over and over and over again, when you do that, you're showing a lack of faith. When you do that, you're not trusting in the Lord. You should be able to just ask one time and then that's it. To ask a second time means you don't believe and that you don't have faith and trust in the Lord. Jesus says, wrong. Jesus teaches us to persist in our prayer, to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. He told of many stories of a woman who went to a judge or a man who went to his neighbor. The answer was finally given, not because they were special, 
Not because they said the right things, but because they would not stop asking. They received what they asked for. Jesus teaches us, whatever our prayer is, be persistent in that prayer. And do as the Bible says, give him no rest until he answers that prayer. Amen. I believe the Lord wants us to be persistent. Last, number four, we see her peace. Jesus again says in verse 28 now, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Look at what Jesus says. Let it be to you as you desire. When he spoke those words, that little girl waiting at home for her mother was completely healed and delivered, set free. Mark says, by the time the woman got home, her daughter was lying on the bed. Notice that Jesus didn't speak a word against the demon. Jesus didn't say the girl's name. He didn't say the words directly for that girl to be healed and set free. He just simply said, let it be as you desire, woman. In other words, all that you desire right now, that healing that you want, that peace for your daughter that you want, that, that feeling as though that everything is made brand new, all of those things that you desire, let it be as you desire. And it was so. You know, the language here is very simple. What Jesus says to her, literally, he says, your desire be. That's it. That word be or to become. He simply says, your desire be, and it was so. It's the same language used to describe how God in the very beginning of creation, when he called light into being, he literally said, light be. And then there was light. And he saw that light and saw that it was good. That's all that it took. He just spoke that light into existence. Light be. And there it was. John, in his gospel, John chapter 1, he also uses the same words to tell us that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus then gives them the power to become, to be the children of God. So what happens in a person's life when they put their trust in Jesus? It's simply this. God says, child of God, be. Child of God, become. And then we are what he says we are, the children of God. It's that simple. And the same word is used here. Oh, woman, your desire be. And it was so. The Lord spoke, and all this woman's desire came to pass. What a wonderful God. Again, Mark says when she went home, her little girl was lying on the bed. This woman could feel something she hadn't felt before. There was a stillness, a quietness. All was well. She could still feel the warmth of the Lord's love in her heart. 
And now she could see that his love was poured out upon her daughter as well. This was the peace of God. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen. With that, the Lord's work was finished and he left that region. And this was the first Gentile home to receive the peace of God. And surely the news of what happened would eventually find its way on that highway to the world. And I believe that there were other people from other nations who heard what Jesus had done for this Gentile woman, for her daughter, for her household. The seed had been planted and soon enough, the Apostle Paul would pass through these same lands, preaching to the Gentiles, proclaiming what he would call the gospel of peace. And he said, I preach this gospel to the Jew first, but to also all the Gentiles of the world. Amen. We learn today from this woman, her predicament, her prayer, her persistence, and her peace. And I pray that through this story, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will become renewed. That it will be elevated to a new trust that you have in Him, to a new understanding about Him, and of course, a new understanding about our prayer life to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this story, this story that you found so important for us to know. And I pray, God, for our own prayer life, for the things that we ourselves are praying for right now. I pray, Lord, that even above and beyond those prayer requests, I pray, God, that we will all know you, truly know you, to know who you are and to know what you have done for us in our life. And as a result of knowing you, we will then learn to trust in you more and more. And I pray, God, no matter what predicament we find ourselves in, to know that in those times of great difficulty, you draw us to yourself. You draw us in order to touch our hearts. You draw us in order to cry out to you and not to speak so many words, but to speak purely from our heart and to say, Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And I pray, God, that in our prayer, our prayers for our marriage, our prayers for our communities, our prayers for those who are sick today, our prayers for our children, for our church, for our job, for our financial well-being, whatever our prayers are, Lord, in knowing you and in trusting you, help us to be persistent, never giving up, always calling upon your name in all things, never giving up, but asking and seeking and knocking until you answer your in your way, in your will, and in your timing until you answer our prayer. And I pray, Lord, the end result of all of it will be peace, peace with God and the peace of God in our life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
that you came to the house of Israel, but you crossed that border and you went to the Gentiles. And today, praise the Lord, the church is filled with Gentiles. And thank you, Lord, that I am one of them. And so are maybe all of those who are listening to me today. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near. We have been brought into the family of God. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We trust in you, and we lift our voice to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be persistent with the Lord. God bless you. May he keep you. May he be gracious to you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Touch you in your spirit, in your emotions, in your physical body if you need healing. And may he always remember he is with you. Even in your darkest valley, he is there. Praise the Lord. Until next time when we look at the scriptures together, may he be with you and bless you. Amen.